Welcome back to Watching the West Wing after taking the red pill. My name is Carlin Borisenko. I am your host. I am a red-pilled former Democrat of 20 years who a couple years ago took the red pill, which basically means you kind of wake up to the world as it really is and how much the media has lied to you and how much politicians have lied to you and how much, in my case, the Democratic Party has lied to me about who they are and uh, what they stand for. And since my journey, I have not yet gone back and watched my favorite show of all time, which is The West Wing. I was one of those people who's like obsessed with The West Wing. I've seen every episode of The West Wing probably seven or eight times, at least with some episodes. I've seen more. And so this is a podcast where I am going back and watching old show, like watching The West Wing basically from start to finish. I am. This is episode three. I am in the first season. I am on episode three of the first season. And so I'm rewatching every episode for the first time since I took the red pill and doing thoughts and commentary, both about how I perceive it now as someone who used to be a Democrat and used to be someone that was very much enamored of the West Wing and how my perception has changed. I'm also talking a lot about how the politics of the West Wing equate to politics in current time. I'm also talking about just generally my experiences with being thrust into the political world and seeing things kind of like seeing the sausage made on the inside and what I think they got right and what I think they kind of made a little bit more idyllic than is actually there. But before we get into this episode, uh, just a couple of reminders. Number one, if you are listening to this, the audio only podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google or any of the other places, I hope you know that I do post unedited full versions of these shows over in my locals community as a perk for people who are supporting the work I'm doing. And you can join that and get access to the exclusive unedited episodes by heading over to kb.locals.com slash support. That's the letter K as in kite, the letter B as in boy dot locals, L-O-C-A-L-S dot com slash support. And you can sign up for five bucks a month or for 50 bucks a year if you want to get two months off. Also, for the remainder of July, you can use the promo code JULY and get a free month as a as a special feature. So if you want to just check it out and see what the unedited ep- episodes look like, that's great. And you can find all that at kb.locals.com slash support. Because what you're listening to right now, whether you're on the audio only version or you're watching this on my YouTube channel, is an edited version because I don't want to get no copyright strike. So I've edited it down. You're getting the, the meat of it. But there is other stuff that goes on in the unedited version um, that is exclusive in my locals. The other thing I want to say, though, is I do try to I've, I've kind of started in the last episode. And I think this is something interesting that I'm going to keep doing in future episodes is what I've done is I've tried to talk about something I've seen in the news or going on in the world at the time that I just think is ridiculous and how that might equate to the more idyllic world of the West Wing. And I have to show you this one. Now, listen, I don't care if people are trans. I do not care if people are trans. I want trans people to be able to live their best life and be happy and present however they want to present. And if that means they take hormones, then fine. That means they have surgery, then fine. If that means they use Zimzer pronouns, it is not any of my business at all. As long as people are treating me with respect and courtesy, I am happy to treat them with the same respect and courtesy. And, you know, they're just pe- people are just trying to live their lives. And I've never met a trans person that I thought was trying to have power over me. But a friend of mine showed me this on Twitter last night. It is a website that teaches children how to self-administer testosterone. 
That's a little concerning. You know, the episode that we're going to watch of the West Wing today is a proportional response. Well, what is the proportional response to children cutting off their body parts while they're in high school? It's horrifying, isn't it? And I don't think it's good for the trans agenda. I'm sorry. I don't think that this is good for trans people. I don't think it's good when you're saying that children should be cutting off their body. And I'm, I'm fine with kids socially transitioning. If a kid thinks they're trans um, or believes that that's their, their, their real identity, then, you know, cut your hair, wear whatever clothes you want. Socially transition, fine. But can we please wait until this, the child the child's brain is fully developed, which doesn't happen until your early to mid twenties. Can we please wait until the logic reason function of their brain is fully developed before we start permanently cutting off their body parts and telling them how to use testosterone without going through a doctor? I don't think I'm asking too much. What's going on in our schools today is more horrifying than most people can face. And if you're a fan of the public schools, then I understand why you might not want to face it. But this is very literally a uh, do-it-yourself guide to hormone replacement therapy that they're targeting to children. Probably without their parents knowing. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. What is a proportional response to this? Well, the proportional response that Big Tech has is to ban anyone who might question whether or not this is a good idea. The proportional response that the left has is to call anyone who might disagree with this transphobic and drag their name through the mud. I don't hate trans people. I want trans people to be happy. I don't care how they live their lives. It's none of my business. I just think it's ill-considered to create a world in which we are teaching children how to medically change their gender and in some cases even cutting off their body parts before they graduated from high school. Anyway, I'll let you uh, tell me what you think about that. Please tell me in the comments if you're listening or watching on a platform that you can comment on. But let's get into our show today for the West Wing. It is called A Proportional Response. Let's get this party started. CJ's looking for you. Sorry, I'm in the office. Josh, I'm saying CJ is looking for you. What did I do? How would I know? Because you know everything. I do know everything. Donna. I'm saying you say that now, but anytime I want to make a substantive contribution. You make plenty of substantive contributions. This, this could be a substantive contribution. I need a raise. So do I. You're my boss. The, uh, I'm not the one who pays you. Yes, but you could recommend that I got Donna, a raise. she's looking for me. Do you think this is a really good time to talk about a raise? I think this is the best time to talk about a raise. Donna. You're not a very nice person. The problem with Donna approaching Josh for a raise in this manner is that Donna had no backbone. Josh knew that Donna was never going to leave him. Okay, I mean, maybe she did in later seasons, but but she knew he knew that she was never going to leave him. And so even though she asked for a raise and demanded a raise and damn well deserved a raise. And by the way, people who work at the White House don't get paid that much money. Like, I think, like, the highest level salary you can get for, like, a, a senior, 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 senior staff person is something like 150 some odd thousand dollars. It's not exactly that, but it's, like, not far off from that, which, I mean, look, I, I understand that $150,000 sounds like a lot of money to a lot of people, and it is a lot of money, but not when you are the chief of staff to the president 
or like a special counselor to the president. These are people who could go into the private sector and make millions, tens of millions of dollars. And so it, it really is like you don't you do not get paid that much money working at the White House. So that's like really, really true. And Washington, D.C. is a really expensive place to live. Um, so that kind of it kind of sucks. It kind of tells you why uh, people don't go into public service, except that when they leave public service, they can land sweet uh, consultancy or lobbying gigs or or gigs commentating on MSNBC or what have you. And that's that's really where the uh, real money is made at the end of the day. But um, jo- Donna never got a raise because she didn't have a backbone. She would threaten. She would cajole. She would try to do all this stuff, but she didn't demand. And um, Josh knew that she wouldn't. And that's why she never won. You want to get to know me? Donna. The best I can cobble together from the small shards of information I've been able to overhear in the restroom and at the Danish cart. Donna. Is it possible that there's a situation involving Sam, a woman, and CJ being denied information about something? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. there it is. That there's only took three do. episodes to get into the no, prostitute. I'm not going to hide in my office. I am going to go into my office and devise a strategy. That is what I do. I'm a professional. This is funny, though. Not Watch a little this. boy. Mm, that's the spirit. But if she calls, I'm at the dentist. I'll be back in an hour. Got it. Yeah! Wow, are you stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. CJ Craig is one of the all-time best characters in television. I don't care what anyone said. Allison Janney is an amazing actor. She well deserved that Oscar that she won for I, Tanya was also a great movie. She was wonderful in it, but she is like unbelievable in this character. And I just, I love her character arc in this show and I won't spoil anything for people who haven't watched it. Her character arc is so good and it makes you feel so good. And it's just like, I I just, I, I love watching her more than almost any other character because like, she's the one that people always kind of like, she's always kind of like off to the side, like people malign her, but she's easily the smartest one of all of them and just really funny and just really has her shit together better than any of the men on this series. Um, I just love it. Love it. Love it. CJ, I really think I'm the best judge of what I mean, you paranoid Berkeley shiksa feminista. Well, that was way too far. No, no. Well, I've got a staff meeting to go to, and so do you, you elitist Harvard fascist, missed the dean's list two semesters in a row, Yankee jackass. Feel better getting that off your chest there, CJ? I'm a whole new woman. And that's the point where we see who really rules the roost on the West Wing. It is C.J. Craig. They are all afraid of C.J. Craig. They all cower. Like, Josh literally looked small. I mean, and he is shorter than her because she's really tall. But, like, he looks small as a human being standing next to her just cowering in the face of, like, her overwhelming power. And it's, like, what I love about C.J. And C.J. has a power that I don't have. I'm I'm way too fiery of a person. Um, C.J. has a more quiet power where, like, she can get fiery if she needs to. But it's almost the quiet power that is really frightening because like you if you know like you really piss her off, she's going to just like get very, very quiet and she's going to get you when you least expect it. And I I wish I had that kind of patience and that kind of power. I'm just way too fiery of a person for it. Um, But I I really it's like it's it's like you it's almost like 
when CJ is mad at you, you feel the disappointment of like a mother who is disappointed. It's not, it's not anger. It's not fury. It's I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And that sometimes is worse for people. They don't know how to handle that than they do like real anger because the, the, the sense of disappointment, it comes from like, she knows that you can do better. When someone is disappointed in you, it's because they know that you can do better. They know that you are capable of more. And it's like, I, and I think that that eats at people more than just like an, like someone being angry or pissed off at your actions because there's no higher expectation with anger. There's no higher expectation of like, I know you're better than this. That's disappointment. And that is way more powerful a weapon, I think, than just like fiery anger. Beacon. What did he say? He was on the broadcast along with several officers from Cromwell Air Force Base when he said regarding the president being weak on defense. Folks down here are patriotic, fiercely patriotic. The president better not be planning on making any visits to this base. If he does, he may not get out alive. He said that. You believe it? Sitting with military officers. Yeah. Don't take the bait, Josh. Don't take the bait. You better believe I'm going to take the bait. Okay, so what they're saying here is that like a Republican in a really Republican district has said that if the president of the United States dares to visit a military base in their really Republican conservative dis district, he might not get out alive, which what's going to happen is they're going to construe that as a death threat. And I really think it's ironic. I think it's ironic that they are the ones like it, it, it seems so reversed, doesn't it? Because you know, Republicans and like conservatives and like MAGA people. And if you're like, if you're not in this world, you might not understand that Republicans and conservatives and MAGA and the alt-right, they're not the same thing. There, there are people in those groups that like, they do sometimes overlap with each other, but also there are very distinct people who are like, like the alt-right is a real thing, but a lot of conservatives and Republicans and MAGA people are not a part of the alt-right. But what what like conservatives and Republicans and, and which is a lie that the media tells you, they want you to think that everyone who's not a Democrat is like an alt-right Nazi and a lunatic. And that is just not true. It is not. But what Republicans and conservatives and MAGA do have in common is they all really do put a very high premium on patriotism. And in fact, if like you go on Fox News as like a politician and you call them patriots, you will get so many donations to whatever you're shilling for, it doesn't matter. Like they really do put a high premium on on, on patriotism and doing the right thing. And so I, I think it's funny that the West Wing is trying to say that Republicans would make a serious death threat against the president. Um, because even now, like with Joe Biden being president and and everyone is miserable. And by the way, like people on the left are miserable too. Joe Biden's Joe Biden's approval ratings are in the toilet. They are awful because he has dementia. I'm sorry, he does. And um and but but like even with that, it's there is no reality in which a Republican or a, especially a Republican politician is going to make an actual death threat or say something like that. Now, on the left, on the left, they make threats of violence all the time. There there was literally within the last couple of weeks, maybe this is the article I should have pulled up for our juxtaposition with what's going on in the current day. There was literally an art like like a, an instance not too long ago with the overturning of Roe v. Wade in which someone tried or was talking about assassinating a Supreme Court justice. A leftist was talking about assassinating 
Brett Kavanaugh. And I'm not a big Brett Kavanaugh fan. In fact, I'm not a Brett Kavanaugh fan at all in any way. But the assassination threat didn't come from the right. It came from the left. The left is always the first to engage in violence. Listen, the right are a bunch of pussies. I said it. I'm not I'm not sorry. I was on that Capitol lawn on January 6th. It was not an insurrection at all. It was a lot of people waving flags and chanting chants. And yes, some people did some very bad things and I don't condone violence in any way. And I was pissed beyond all measure at the people who engaged in the violence and the destruction and all that. I also don't think a speaking of a proportional response, there was a 69 year old grandmother with cancer that just went to prison for 60 days this week for daring to walk through open doors into the Capitol on January 6th. Is that a proportional response? Isn't it a proportional response to send a 69 year old grandmother to prison for two months for walking in an open set of doors that she was not clear that she was prohibited from being in that area because they were literally letting people in. That's not a proportional response either. But the reason, but, but, but the reason I say the right are pussies is because even with when I was on the Capitol lawn on January 6th, there were minimum 50,000 people there. They could have destroyed that entire building if they had wanted to. And I'm not saying they should have, but the right never engages in violence. They really don't. If there is violence in the political world, it is from the left. It is not from the right. And the left has done a really good job at creating this narrative that the right are the violent hicks. Now, are there extremists on the right? Absolutely. There are. There 100% are. But there are more violent extremists on the left than there are on the right. And if you need evidence of that, the Black Lives Matter protests, the mostly peaceful Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 caused $2 billion worth of property damage. That didn't come from the right. That came from the left. There'll be a law against it. There is a law against it. Why'd you get him started? How about threatening the life of the president? He's talking to other people. How about conspiracy? They were military officers. How about treason? Toby. That was a member of our own party, Leo. That was a Democrat who said that. It's bad. Oh, I was wrong. Holy shit. I was wrong. It was a Democrat. Holy shit. I didn't remember that. It was a Democrat that threatened violence. That's mind boggling to me. It is mind boggling that there existed a reality 20 years ago in which the West Wing would have written into the script that a Democrat was threatening the life of the president that he didn't like. Wow. Talk about foreshadowing. What? That's mind blow. And, and you know, that's something that when I watched this show, the last time I watched it, probably four or five years ago, it never would have occurred to me that thou, it, it never like that. This wouldn't have even registered on my radar four or five years ago. The fact that they were talking about a Democrat, like it wouldn't have even registered on my radar as having any significance at all. But it's the truth. Now, I don't necessarily think that was a threat. and I don't think that anyone really could really construe it as a threat. But man. Wow. That's it. What are you going to do? Have the Justice Department bring him in for questioning pending felony charges. Toby's right. What's the good of being in power if you're not going to haul your enemies in for questioning? Oh, Samuel. Yeah. 
Could you stop by my office around lunchtime, please? Sure. Think she knows? Yeah. Why? She told me she knows. Should you and I talk for a minute? Uh -oh. Yeah, my office. I'll be right back. Hold on. Stay there. <sighs> Sam knows yeah. what's coming. Yeah, what Cole said on the radio. Yeah. And? Secret Service investigates all threats made against the president. It's White House policy not to comment on those investigations. Are you telling me there's going to be a criminal investigation? <laughs> I really can't comment on that right now. Damn, I got to get back to my office. You know, Toby, Toby's planting a little story right there. He he doesn't he can't admit it outright, so he's planting a little story. And and they do this shit all the time. This is why you always have to question anything that comes out of the White House. Now, what what's funny about this is the White House, as we know it today, isn't even this smart. They're not this smart. They're so bad. It's like they 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 would not even have there like there is no one working in the White House today that is as smart as Toby Ziegler, Ziegler's character on the West Wing or any of the characters on the West Wing for that matter. They would never do this today. So you can kind of take a little bit more like what they say at face value, but most of the time they're not saying anything. Um, but you know, you always gotta question stuff coming out of like any governmental source. Any governmental source. Do not take any and this goes for the right too. I'm not just saying this for the left. You got to do this for the right, too. They're all liars and thieves and scoundrels. When? Before, now, in the future, anytime you're into something and you don't know what, and you can't tell me that you thought there was nothing to it because you sat down with Josh and you sat down with Toby. Anytime you're into something and you don't know what, you don't keep it from me. I'm your first phone call. It was like really disrespectful of him not to include her. It, it it really was because like she like you can't run interference for someone if you don't know what's going on. And it's like, you know, this was inevitable that it was going to get out like anyone could have predicted this. And and by the way, if this had happened now, it would have been out the next day, not weeks after the fact because of social media and someone would have had a video camera and someone would have texted something and someone like, is just like it would have gotten out so much faster and they would have had less time to respond. And so it's one of those things that it's like, you know, he did go to Josh and Toby and tell them what was going on. Why didn't he go to her? Because they're all scared of her. <laughs> because because men, because insecure men are typically afraid of really powerful women. But going to her and telling her what was going on would have absolutely been the very best way to handle the situation because she can't protect him if she doesn't know what's going on. I'm your first line of which is probably why like the White House press secretary today, Corinne Jean-Pierre, is struggling so much because Biden doesn't even know what's going on in his own head. Like she can't protect him. He doesn't know what's going on in his own head. Like who even knows what's going on in that White House? Does anyone know what's going on in that White House? This the White House on the West Wing is so much better run than what we are experiencing in our present day reality. Of defense. You have to let me protect you and you have to let me protect the president. Is that what no prep time. We're there. All three scenarios are comprehensive. Meet the obligations of proportional response and pose minimum risk to American personnel and assets. Scenario one, or Pericles one, to use his code name, sir. What is the is virtue of a proportional response? I love this question. And we're we're going to get into more of like what they're talking about. Like, well, like, what is the virtue of a proportional response? It's like, you know, and I think that this question is a lot more relevant now than it was maybe then because just everything is escalated and everything is so much more extreme. But what is the virtue of only hitting someone just hard enough? 
like a slight tap on the shoulder to say, you hit us on the shoulder, so we're just going to tap you right back just so you you don't do it again. Like, that's not, it's not a divert, it's not, a, what what is it? Oh, what is it? Oh, my God. I forget the word. It's not, um, it's not something that's going to prevent future attacks. Like, I, maybe I'm extreme, but, and maybe I've just been put through a lot in the last couple of years, but I no longer see the virtue of a proportional response. And maybe, maybe I would think different if I was thinking militarily. Now, generally speaking, I'm extraordinarily anti-war. I don't believe in going into situations in which we are provoking war at all, which most of the wars that happen are provoked by us. And, you know, they cost billions and trillions of dollars and, you know, they, they never, nothing is ever accomplished. And so I'm not, I'm not in favor of war by any means, but I got to tell you, like I, when Trump was in office and they assassinated uh, Soleimani, um, who was basically like a raging terrorist from, uh, oh, is it like Iran? I think it was Iran. Like one of their like top like people who was like bombing like Americans and all this stuff. And like, he was a bad guy and I don't feel bad. I don't feel sorry that he died. He was bad and he should have died. And I liked that that Trump did that. That was one of the things that he did that I that I appreciated. And that was retaliation. It was retaliation for setting the um, oh, what was it? Oh, someone please correct me if I get this wrong. It's like there's so much news to consume at any given time that like if something happens two years ago, I might forget exactly what it was just because I've already moved on to 18 other things like in the same week that that thing happened. Um, but wasn't it wasn't were they bombing like one of our embassies in like Saudi Arabia? And like, like setting it on fire and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't, I don't see the virtue of a proportional response. Like a proportional response basically gives people permission to keep doing the thing. And, um, like, I want to hit someone so hard that not only do they regret doing the thing in the first place, they never think about doing an additional thing ever again. I'm sorry. What is the virtue of a proportional response? Why is it good? They hit an airplane, so we hit a transmitter, right? That's a proportional response. Sir, in the case of Pericles... They hit a barracks, we hit two transmitters. That's roughly it, yes, and sir. This is what we do. I mean, this is what we do. Yes, sir, it's what we do. It's what we've always done. Well, if it's what we do, if it's what we've always done, don't they know we're going to do it? Sir, if you turn your attention to Pericles 1. I have turned my attention to Pericles 1. It's two ammo dumps, an abandoned railroad bridge, and a Syrian intelligence agency. Those are four highly rated targets, sir. But they know we're going to do that. They know we're going to do that. Those areas have been abandoned for three days now. We know that from the satellite, right? We have the intelligence. Sir. They did that, so we did this. It's the cost of doing business. It's been factored in, right? Mr. President. Am I right, or am I missing something here? No, sir. You're right, sir. Then I am. See, so, I mean, and that's the point that he's making. It's like, they already know what their response is going to be. They've already done a cost-benefit analysis. And I think you can apply this to any number of situations that happen in the real world where, like, someone attacks someone else and then they and they know that, like, there's probably going to be a consequence for that attack. And they've already factored in the consequence of that attack into their original attack on that person. This happens in the social media world all the fucking time. I can tell you stories. It's one of the things that just makes me not want to be involved in, like, the content world at all. I've, I've really you know, pull myself back as much as I possibly can from even being around other creators because of bullshit like this. Now, it's not the same thing as, like, going to war and bombing people, but it's the same kind of idea. Like, 
what is the virtue of of a proportional response when they've already factored the reality of that response into what they're doing in the first place? I don't understand it. I'm completely with him. I don't think there is virtue to a proportional response. I don't know. Let me know what you think in the comments. Ask again, what is the virtue of a proportional response? It isn't virtuous, Mr. President. It's all there is, sir. It is not all there is, sir. Admiral Fitzgerald. Excuse me, Leo. Oh, pardon me, Mr. President. Just what else is there? The disproportional response. Let the word ring forth from this time and this place, gentlemen. You kill an American, any American, we don't come back with a proportional response. We come back with total disaster. Mr. President, are you... See, I... <sighs> it's hard, right? Because I am, again, like I'm a very anti-war person. If, if a single American dies abroad, I don't necessarily want to bring out the nuclear arsenal. I don't think that that's fair. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's about justice. I don't think it's about any of those things. But man, I don't understand. Like, a res I don't understand. If you're going to respond, then at least like make it make it a response that matters. Because if it's a response that's already been factored in and they know it's coming, then that response doesn't matter. It's the cost of doing business. But if you are put into a position where you absolutely have to respond, then you don't, you not only respond, this is, this is what I would do if I was president and I was surrounded by military advisors who would probably be pushing me in the other direction. Well, maybe not even anymore. To be honest, like today's fucking military and, and like would, would I, I don't, Listen, okay, here's the question I had that I just thought of. In today's military, would they even consider a proportional response? Or is it just right to let's just go to war and spend a metric F ton of money to feed our to feed our, our friends in the uh in the uh military contractor game? Is it let's just send billions of dollars to Lockheed Martin and and all these other military contractors? I don't even know if this proportional is this. Here's a question I have, and I would be very interested in hearing from anyone who is actually in the military that would know the answer to this question. Would this conversation ever actually happen? Would this conversation in real life happen? Would, 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 would military officers be advocating for a proportional response, or would they be advocating for something that is going to inevitably get us into war? You know, we're all very lucky we're not in war with Russia right now. We go to war with Russia, game over, dude. Game over. Experiment over. Isn't it funny that, you know, 40 years ago we were in a cold war with Russia and we could very well be there again. Suggesting we carpet bomb Damascus? I am suggesting, General, that you and Admiral Fitzwallis and Secretary Hutchison and the rest of the national security team take the next 60 minutes and put together an American response scenario that doesn't make me think we are just docking somebody's damn allowance. I like that he's angry. I'm sorry. I like it. I do. I like it. Not that I want World War III. I don't, but... I think Mr. Cashman and Secretary Hutchinson would each tell you what I'm sure you already know, sir, that this strike would be seen both at home and abroad as a staggering overreaction by a first-time commander-in-chief. 
that without the support of our allies, without a Western coalition, without Great Britain and Japan, and without Congress, you'll have doled out $5,000 worth of punishment for a 50-buck crime, sir. I'm fairly certain that this was filmed before 9-11. Hang on. West Wing season one. What year was this filmed is the question. 2000. Yeah. So this was filmed before 9-11. So I think we need to keep that in mind. And the reason I bring that up is that, um, spoiler alert, um, Congress never declared war in regards to us going into Iraq and Afghanistan. Congress never declared war. And so, like, okay, I don't agree with dropping bombs on thousands of innocent civilians in any way, although we do that all the time. If you don't know we do that all the time, we do that all the time. So, even, like, it it seems almost kind of silly to me to, to pretend that the United States isn't constantly bombing people in like the Middle East. Okay, maybe not constantly, like every single day, but we've dr- we have killed thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent people in the Middle East in the last twenty years since this episode was filmed, and it ma- it doesn't even make the news. It's not even talked about. It's not spoken about. Look up the war in Yemen, man. But I do think that what we're seeing right now is a reflection of the time in which the show was made, which was pre-9-11 and pre-9-11, pre-Patriot Act, pre-all that stuff. And it is very much a reflection of the time because, like, doesn't it look silly when we know what, what has happened in the last 20 years? Doesn't it look silly to say that? Well, if Congress doesn't declare war, you are going to be in a metric boat out of trouble. Well, no, we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. Congress never declared war. They never declared war for Iraq or Afghanistan. Well done, Mr. President. 50 buck crime. I honestly don't know what the hell we're doing here. You know, he has um, one of the things that I like about President Bartlett is that even when he's surrounded by these people and he's doing these these, you know, things that are scaled to such a high level, um, he doesn't lose his humanity around people. He sees people for what they are, like imperfect, you know, imperfect beings that are just trying to live their lives. And, you know, I like that he made a comment going out the door saying, you know, it was a 50 buck crime. No, it wasn't. There were people that died. There were people, there were good people that died. And it almost seems disrespectful to diminish the good people who have died, um, you know, in, in the greater, in the, in this, in the uh, scenario of like executing a retaliatory military action. And I, I like that he's like, no, this wasn't just, you know, this wasn't just like a minor thing. This wasn't just a blip. These were real people's lives. And, um, I think that, you know, if I look at Joe Biden, Joe Biden wouldn't do that. Well, Joe Biden wouldn't know where he is, but Joe Biden wouldn't do that. Joe Biden is, is such a politician. He like, Listen, I got banned off of Twitter for 12 hours this week, and it happened automatically. 
it happened automatically upon me uploading a video of Joe Biden bragging about his role in implementing these laws that put people in jail for five years for for possessing just the tiniest little bit of crack. And it had Joe Biden doing that on one side. And on the other side, it had video of Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, smoking crack. Like, for those of you who don't know, who don't look past, like, the media bullshit, like, basically, Hunter Biden's iPhone got hacked. And apparently on, on his iCloud account, there are all these videos of Hunter Biden smoking crack and with crack and with hookers and crack and arguing with a hooker about how much crack they have and then zooming in on the crack to show you how much they have. And it's like, it, it, like you look at something like that and, and you're not allowed to post that on Twitter. I literally got banned for 12 hours automatically, automatically upon hitting post. Because all of big tech is hiding for how much of a raging hypocrite our current president is. Do I think that Joe Biden is takes the humanity of anyone involved into consideration? No. No. I don't think he cares. I don't think most politicians care. Maybe some do. But I would say there are very few people in this entire game that I've encountered that care about human beings on a human level. They only care about themselves. They only care about their brand. They only care about their image. They only care about the next election or raising money. They don't care about people. What I always loved about Jed Bartlett's character is I always thought that that character, and it's fiction, of course, but I always thought that his character really did care about people. What more do you need to know? Charlie, I wonder if you could tell me about your social life, your friends, what you like to do. Josh, I cannot believe you. Sam. Well, uh, there's my sister, Dina, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you're asking. He's asking if you're gay, Charlie. And I wouldn't answer the damn question. All right, that's it, Sam. Let's take a walk. You know what? Feel free to... This was before, remember, this is before gay marriage. This was, this was right after Vermont instituted civil unions. Civil unions, for those youngins out there that have never heard such a thing, um, where a precursor to gay marriage is basically like putting a legal framework in place to be able to recognize like committed couple like couples that had filled out the right forms and stuff like that. Um, and later, like gay marriage got legalized, which, by the way, when the Republicans stupidly and idiotically um, got Roe v. Wade overturned, which is the dumbest thing they have ever done in their lives. I said at the time I was like, they're going for gay marriage next. They're going for gay marriage next. And all the all the conservatives are like, no, 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 no. This is just about babies. That's all it's about. It's just about babies. Well, guess what? Ted Cruz came out yesterday. Yesterday. Talking about how he thought that gay marriage was wrongfully decided by the Supreme Court. So here we go. We're off to the culture war races. Which side is going to be more extreme? The Republican, the conservatives are so stupid. They're so stupid. Couldn't just leave it alone and focus on issues that actually matter. Anyway, the point I'm making here is that we're watching him like like this. This is, you know, back in the day. Being gay and working with the president would have been a concern. Not so much anymore, which which, to be quite frank, doesn't it show you how much progress we've made? You know, for everyone, I got called a homophobe in a in a communist newspaper in Vermont not too long ago, like a couple of weeks ago. 
because I exposed uh, a school district that is actively like grooming kids. Like like they're like guidance counselors are working with kids in elementary school in fifth grade to help them come out of the closet as trans, even though their parents might not know about it. That to me doesn't seem correct. They're kids. Let them come to their own conclusions. But I exposed that and I worked with a bunch of people to expose it. It wasn't just me. And um, I ended up getting called a homophobe in a, in a communist newspaper in Vermont, a homophobe and a transphobe, which I always thought was really ironic because civil unions in Vermont was like actually one of the first issues that I worked on. And uh, like ever in politics, like I, you know, it was just one of those people's like knocking on doors and like talking to people and like saying that I think we should support this thing. And um, and that was pretty much one of the last things I did, too, before I just like went to college like a normal person. Um, But like the point I'm making is this is like, you know. Back in the day, there were there were a lot of problems in terms of like whether or not you're gay shouldn't matter at all for having a job, whether or not you're trans shouldn't matter at all for having a job. Um, but it did back then. And the fa- and this is a Democrat White House. It's not even a Republican White House. This is a Democrat White House. And so I think that this is actually really illustrative of how far that we've come in the last 20 years. And it shows you that people are less bigoted today in, in real ways. But because um, because like there, there isn't as much hate and there isn't as much discrimination, the left has to invent it. And it isn't an ironic that we see Sam, who is Sam is like the idealistic lefty. He is he is he is like um, uh, Howard Rourke, like the idealized man. Rand would call him like the idealized man. Right. Sam Seaborn is like the idealized lefty. He is he is the moral conscious of uh, of the West Wing. And even he's saying like this shouldn't matter um, when other people say it does. And isn't it ironic now that Democrats and the left really think that your race and your gender and your sexual orientation and your gender identity. Democrats really think that's the only thing that matters. To our asses. If I represent you, if you like. Let's go. Hey, Fitz. Yeah. The president's personal aide, they're looking at a kid. You have any problem with a young black man waiting on the president? I'm an old black man and I wait on the president. The kid's got to carry his bags. And You're going to pay him a decent wage? You're going to treat him with respect in the workplace? Yeah. Why the hell should I care? That's what I thought. I got some real honest-to-God battles to fight, Leo. I don't have time for the cosmetic ones. Thanks, Admiral. Oh, my God. Can you compare that to the reality that we're in right now in which the White House press secretary, one of the first things they said about her is she is a black lesbian. I mean, they didn't say that, like what what they say, like a queer black woman or like LGBT or something like that. But like literally that was the leading line for the new, the, the current press secretary It was the leading line for Kamala Harris. We are going to put a black woman in the vice president's office. Leading line for the Supreme Court justice, black woman. And I don't have any problem with anyone being black, having any sort of position or women having any sort of position. I don't really care about your race. I don't really care about your skin color, but isn't it this is 20 years ago man the the ideal the ideal response for the democratic party 20 years ago when this was filmed was it doesn't matter what his skin color is just pay him a good wage and treat him well treat him, treat him with respect and who the hell cares we don't have time for these cosmetic questions we have real things to focus on that's 
mind-boggling giving given our current reality and the current state of the democratic party it is it is literally like this is a i'm so glad i'm watching this show because it's reminding me why i used to be a democrat this is the time when i became a democrat this was the mentality of the democratic party back then and it reminds me that there was logic to it like i have thought so often about like how did you get sucked into this in the first place? And, you know, watching this now and knowing that this was what it was like in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And, and you know, those these were the conversations I heard. And it confirms how much the Democratic Party has changed. That now they put race and gender and sexual orientation and gender identity at the forefront of everything they do. And it's those immutable characteristics that are all that matters. 20 years ago, they were better. 20 years ago, they wouldn't have had a problem with the term colorblind. And yes, they do have a problem with the term colorblind because they want you to see color above all else. It's astonishing, the difference. It really, I... It's astonishing. Good luck. I got the briefing on the Phoenix last night. I studied the report. Hutchins was there in my private study. The Phoenix, the A61, the Sparrow, and the Sidewinder. Are we covered? Yes, sir. Very well. Tell Minister Air, Mr. President. For one of a pair of glasses. Try mine, sir. Tell him. We're looking. She's looking. Thank you. Uh, while right, they're right. looking, sir, in the meantime, can you take a look at the new power? Oh, crap. I can't see anything with these. Charlie, tell him. Uh, Mr. President. You said you read the Phoenix report in- What? You said you read the Phoenix Report in your private study last night, sir. What of it? Who is this? Have a steward go to the president's study. Have him look under the papers on the coffee table. Mr. President, this is Charles Young. I don't have any time for new people now. You know, I mean, we're going to see a redemption moment after his his press conference, but it, it is kind of like heartbreaking. Can you imagine being in Charlie's shoes and like he's this young kid and his and he's like getting thrown into this world? Oh, my God. Like, I like I can't even imagine him getting thrown into this situation where he decided he was going to be like a bike messenger. And now all of a sudden he like might be working with the president and his first meeting with the president, the president has yelled at him and not been his best self. But Charlie did his job and he told him where the glasses were, which is really the problem. Charlie was a problem solver. Um, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to see, I, I believe it's, in, I'm virtually positive it's in this episode. We're going to see a redemption moment. But um, I guess what I want to say is I think that this moment is pretty indicative of that people have multiple sides of themselves. People, people can be good and bad. They can be light and dark. People, people can have moments where they say things that they don't mean or regret or they have a tone that they don't normally have. And I think that, you know, we already know that Bartlett is someone that genuinely and sincerely does care about people. But at this moment, he hasn't acted like it because he's under a, a lot of stress. And I think that that's important for people to keep in mind that. Sometimes, like, sometimes people are in distress. And sometimes when people are scared or they are under pressure, they might say or do things that they look back and they regret later. And holding those moments against people for the rest of their lives 
or even just like having it destroy. Imagine what would have happened if Charlie had allowed this moment, this interaction to destroy his entire perception and relationship with this man. It would have prevented him from going on possibly like the greatest adventure of his life. What a shame that would have been. Now you might say this is fiction. It's not real life. It's fiction, but people do this to themselves all the time. They allow a moment where someone says something nasty or in a tone that's not well received or has a moment of stress and anger. And they they take it to be an all-encompassing review of that person when in fact it was probably just a bad moment. And all of us have bad moments. If we want people to be able to forgive us of our bad moments, then we need to be able to forgive them of theirs. There's one you'll like. Bertram Coles. Oh, I like anything. It starts with Bertram Coles. Let's have it. Coles goes on the radio yesterday and he says, people in his district love America and you better not come down there because you might not get out alive. Bert's calling me out, though, apparently. <laughs> The people in Burt's district are so patriotic that if the president of the United States himself were to show up, they'd kill him. <laughs> I'm still getting a kick out of the fact that this was a Democrat that said this. I'm still getting a kick out of it because Democrats today hate America. They hate it openly and brazenly. They call it a racist country. They say that like our entire system is corrupt. They well, our entire system is corrupt. But like they say it for different reasons. And it's like the idea that that a Democrat would consider themselves patriotic today is laughable. They would never use that word. When is the really think about this and if anyone can give me an answer like I want I like leave a comment. When was the last time that you heard a Democrat call themselves a patriot? Have you heard that recently? They would never use that word. Oh, it's so fascinating. It's just like such an, it is a mind fuck watching what the Democratic Party was like 20 years ago versus today. <laughs> <laughs> Ziegler must be ballistic. Toby <laughs> is on it. <laughs> it's just been a very difficult few days for him. I think I should probably go. Excuse me, Charlie. Can I see you inside, please? Now the redemption on, okay. moment. I'm Jeff Bartlett. I'm Charles Young. You prefer Charlie, right? Listen, Leo McGarry filled me in on the situation with your mother. I'm so very sorry. I hope you don't mind, but I took the liberty of calling Tom Conley, the FBI director, and we had the computer spit out some quick information. Your mother was killed by a Western 38 revolver firing KTWs or what are known as cop killer bullets. Now, we have not had a whole lot of success yet in banning that weapon and those bullets off the streets. But we're planning on taking a big whack at it when Congress comes back from recess. So what do you say? You want to come help us out? Yes, sir, I do. Thanks, Charlie. <clears throat> the redemption moment. Charlie's relationship with the president is also just like one of my absolute favorite parts of this show. Um, because like, you don't know this yet. I don't think um, if you're not having watched the show before, but Jed Bartlett has three daughters. He doesn't have a son and Charlie kind of becomes his son. And it's really beautiful thing to watch in their relationship. And um, 
you know, like what I said, like p- people have bad moments. That it, just because someone has a bad moment does not mean that's who they are. It means they're a human being. It means they're a human being. And if you allow people to have redemption from those bad moments, then that can open up a world of possibilities in terms of your human relationships. You know, I don't exist in a world today where I'm allowed to have bad moments. People play too high of a priority on image. And I say, fuck that. Fuck that. It's not real. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. People have bad moments. And you hope that the good moments outshine the bad moments. You hope that the knowledge they're able to impart to you outshine the bad moments. But man, I got to tell you, like, it is easy to get overwhelmed by the noise that is created by the people who make it a priority to judge you by your bad moments. If you're looking for a way to hate someone, you'll always find it. Human beings are imperfect. But why would you want to live a life where all you're ever doing is looking for reasons to hate someone? That sounds like a rather miserable experience to me. My fellow Americans, good evening. A short while ago, I ordered our armed forces to attack and destroy four military targets in northern Syria. This in response to the unwarranted, unprovoked, and cold-blooded downing three days ago of an unarmed Air Force jet carrying 58 passengers and the flag of the United States. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a president that could make that speech? We don't right now. Maybe this is what I should have opened this show with about a, what was it, a week ago? Joe Biden was uh, reading off a teleprompter. And he read his part that he was supposed to read. And then he, he said, end of quote, repeat the line. Joe Biden literally became Ron Burgundy in reading off of the teleprompter. Can you imagine of what it might be like if he does that when it's a serious speech instead of something that he's doing for, you know, PR? I'm becoming more and more happy about pursuing this project in terms of like. It is reminding me that there was once a functioning system. Well, okay, maybe this is an this is an idealized version of that system. So perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps there was never a functioning system. Maybe this is an idealized version. But at least someone could envision the system running this way. I don't think Can you imagine if they tried to remake the West Wing today based off our current state of affairs? Dude. Dude. How crazy would that be? Well, that's all I have for this episode. Again, this is uh, watching the West Wing after taking the red pill. And if you would like to get the unedited version of this episode, you can head over to kb.locals.com support and become a member and support my work. That is where the unedited version of this episode will live 
in perpetuity. If you are watching this on my YouTube channel or uh, you are listening to the audio version on Apple or Spotify or wherever else. And I'm thinking about starting a Substack too. Just why not? You have the content distributed far and wide. Maybe people will respond to it on Substack. Who knows? Um, but um, and if I do start a Substack too, I will start an exclusive version um, where people can get the unedited episode there as well. Um, but uh, I guess that's all we have for right now, guys. Thank you for uh, hanging out with me. And I will see you next week for season one, episode four. Take care. <laughs>